I think we have to look at the life of the workers in totality and we have to respect the life of the workers and we have to give a decent living to all workers around the world. It's not only about Pakistan or US, it's all workers around the world and workers needs to unite around the world as well. As many of you in our community are aware, today marks the 10th anniversary of the tragic collapse of Rana Plaza in Dhaka, Bangladesh, where 1,134 lives were lost and another 2,500 were injured. In the decades since, brands have increasingly tried to establish sustainable supply chains, but progress toward labor rights, workplace safety, and human rights in general has lagged behind other sustainability initiatives. Rana Plaza, in many ways, was a catalyst for change and accountability, and it moved brands to sign the International Accord to ensure health and safety programs in Bangladesh. Last year, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Morocco, and India were identified by the Accord Secretariat as priority countries to establish workplace programs. In December of 2022, the expansion of the Accord into Pakistan was announced and 35 brands signed on to ensure worker safety in the garment and textile industry. I'm Nicole Clenny, and on today's episode of TFC Connections, we will be talking with Khalid Mahmood, the director of the Labor Education Foundation in Pakistan, to get his views on the progress and challenges to a successful implementation of the Accord in Pakistan. And joining me today as co-host is the Fashion Connections Executive Director, Rebecca Ballard, which I'm really looking forward to because, Rebecca, you have so much expertise and experience working on labor and employment rights. So thank you for joining. Pleasure to be here and so excited to be a part of this conversation. I think it's, it's both an incredibly difficult and discouraging topic, while at the same time, there's so many opportunities to engage and move forward and a lot of hope. And we thank you, Kala, for all of your work being part of the positive momentum. Thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. I, I'm really looking forward to, to talk to you about the situation in South Asia and uh, Rana Plaza in Pakistan and yes, and the situation of the workers. So I hope some more useful information will be spread through this podcast uh, to the relevant people. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Well, to begin, I'd love for you, Khalid, to tell us how you got into labor rights because You've been working at the Labor Education Foundation since 1996, and I understand that you actually started as a taxi driver while studying cost and management accounting. So can you tell us about that and LEF's mission? Well, that was a secret. I don't know how it reached <laughs> We all We all have our own journeys in a sustainable fashion in so many different paths. Okay. 
Yes, um, I started uh, driving taxi uh, when I was studying at the same time in the, uh, in the Institute of Cost and Management Accountants in Lahore. And uh, I was involved in, uh, to some extent, in the student politics as well before that. So entering into the practical life in Lahore was not easy. So I had to like do work and study in the uh, evenings and sometimes uh, in different timings. But then I came in contact with this organization um, uh, which was being established at that time. So I was hired as a taxi driver to take some uh, Swedish trade unionists around Lahore for different meetings. And then when we entered into some conversation, this organization offered me a, a job of uh, accounting. So I was glad to start with this organization as an accountant but uh, after uh, like a year or so uh, due to my interest in the uh, labor rights and progressive politics in general they offered me promotion and uh, because they all the founders were all uh, political activists they wanted to do politics so they handed over all the program side also to me and then uh, I had to like do different um, courses as well on the management of NGO and especially on the labor rights. So that's how I started. And uh, since then, uh, I never looked back. I think uh, this was so interesting for me that uh, I continued with this, even though during this job, I completed my MBA in human resource development as well in the evening classes. But I continued with the, this sector because I liked it so much. And I'm happy after uh, these years now that uh, working on the labor rights is the thing that keeps me moving in my life, that keeps me satisfied, that keeps me happy as well. So it's really nice to work on the labor rights and in this sector. And, I, I, and this uh, work has provided me opportunity to meet uh, different people, trade unionists, activists around the world, uh, which has another angle to the development of uh, the organization, of development of my, um, my being a person. So it's really, really lovely to, to, to be in this uh, field. Yeah, that is really lovely. It's very fulfilling to find what moves us every day and gives us purpose. And what an incredible thing that yours is working to protect human rights. So I know you mentioned you were interested in human rights and progressive politics at a young age, and I understand that your mother was a home-based garment worker. Did that influence your interest in wanting to work with trade unions and rights organizations? Yes, uh, my father was in the uh, Navy, and at that time, uh, I mean, he was, uh, he was a soldier, and uh, the, the salaries of the soldiers were not really enough to meet both ends meet. So my mother was a skilled lady in sewing the clothes, so she was uh, making uh, garments, working from home as a home-based worker, and I used to sit with her. I mean, uh, from my childhood, I used to watch her, I used to see a lot of things happening around that. So that really was something which was in my heart and not only to see her as a home-based worker, but, but also I think to see her as a woman being in a struggle for her family and how she was communicating with the people who came to get their garments done by her. 
so are different uh, there are different um, angles to to that kind of uh, observation and when i uh, started studying in college so i came in uh, more uh, close connection to the progressive politics as well and then uh, of course the labor right the student movement and all that that really helped me to understand this sector better um i love this quote from ts elliot like we shall not cease from exploration and at the end of our exploring we'll arrive where we started and know that place for the first time so i have um, also a family history in the garment industry my grandparents were involved in the industry some in north carolina so um i wanted to, to just take a moment and transition a bit and um, especially with this month being the 10-year anniversary of Rana Plaza, um, this this incredible tragedy where over a thousand people died, multiple thousand people were injured, so many people were affected, family members of those who died or family members of those who were injured. And to me, one thing that really stands out from this is like workers saw the problem. They saw cracks in the buildings. They knew that there were issues. Um, however, there was there's pressure from management to to go back in. Khaled, I wanted to just ask you, how did this affect you and your work? I mean, with Pakistan being a, a country in the region, how how was Rana Plaza felt when it happened? I, I also want to um, shout out that, you know, there have been tragedies in Pakistan as well. It's not that Pakistan is a country that has not also um, had terrible things happen um, you know, over the past 10, 20, 30 years too. Um, that have resulted in serious injury and the loss of life to garment workers as well. Yes, um, Rana Plaza was, I mean, devastating for uh, uh, all of us who work on labor rights and for for general public as well. I mean, this was such such an incident, which was, uh, I mean, I never thought of. People don't think that a place like a factory can be such dangerous place. We often think that uh, if a worker has a job, if a worker goes to work in the morning, comes back in the evening, gets a monthly wage, whatever it is, uh, their life is better than uh, a lot of other people who are jobless or who, who do not have a, a regular kind of a job. But people do not really think that what difficulties workers can face in such workplaces. And Rana Plaza was like such an incident which has many, many angles to, to look at this. I, I think uh, before Rana Plaza, because we already had uh, two other incidents, one in Pakistan, the Ali Enterprises uh, factory fire in which uh, 260 workers uh, um, were killed by the fire. That was also uh, an incident where the uh, people from around the world were shocked and we in Pakistan, we were involved in the campaign for the safety of the workers after that incident. And then in September, 2012, early enterprises happened in November 2012. Tazreen factory fire happened in Bangladesh. And then in April 2013, Rana Plaza happened. So look at the timeline, I mean, of these unfortunate... Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's just incredibly, it's crazy and tragic, yet also the world that we live in, that there's, you know, it, it's not just Rana Plaza. And to think that we haven't learned enough as a world to prevent this. Yeah. 
so i mean after, i mean we were already in in uh, in a movement in a campaign for the safety of the workers after the alint pardon tasreen and then rana plaza actually shocked us in a way that we we were really demoralized and we thought oh nothing can happen i mean what is this going on in the factories and especially when i mean as you said when the workers refused to go in and they were forced to go into that uh, building and to, to start working and you know that the bank employees in the same factory they did not go in they kept themselves out of the building and they were saved and the garment workers were forced by the factory management to go in so this clearly shows that the employers the brands everybody who is earning profit out of uh, the work of the of the garment workers do not think that the workers are human beings they think they are machines working on machines making profit for these people who are sitting somewhere else in their heavens and they are extracting their uh, profits from the dangerous and hard work that the workers put in so i think this is the height of the insensitivity the cruelty whatever you call it and the problem is that uh, even after the rana plaza the profit makers are not willing to learn the lesson they are not willing to actually see the things clearly they are not willing to change the things and make the workplaces safe we have seen many other incidents after the rana plaza as well so as a south asian it's really tragic for me as an activist it's really uh, tragic for me and i hope that someday the power the strength of the workers will be such that uh, all workplaces can be made safe i appreciate you sharing this how real and how visceral and how complicated and discouraging things were after Rana Plaza. I mean, I I felt that here in the United States as someone who has worked on labor issues for a long time and I can only imagine how discouraging it was within the region. Yeah, thank you so much for opening up and and sharing that. It's just horrific and tragic and shocking and it's so dehumanizing the treatment of the workers how it was and and it still is in many cases you know because companies continue to place profits over people and you know i think the hope is that with policies or agreements like the international accord which are legally binding or which is legally binding we can ensure that someday all workplaces will be made safe So what impact do you think Rana Plaza had on the accord because I know it was kind of in the pipeline prior to Rana Plaza and what are your thoughts on how it has improved conditions and if there have been any limitations or challenges um accord has a huge impact i think when when first i heard about the accord even before rana plaza through our network of clean clothes campaign and our work with the workers as consortium and such organizations we were uh, aware of uh, the developments 
the best thing in uh, accord is that the fixation of the responsibility on the brands the people who are earning uh, more profits out of the work of the workers they have a more responsibility towards the rights of the workers what rana plaza incident uh, did was that uh, it forced uh, some of the brands uh, to move quickly for signing the accord uh, the limitation in accord is uh, that it was only for fire and building safety i think the safety of the workers cannot be looked in isolation even though the accord has really helped workers uh, has really improved the conditions of the safety of the workers in bangladesh but at the same time i think the voices of the workers are important to be heard so one thing which was in the accord was workers safety uh, committees uh, i think that was uh, another good thing uh, but when it comes to the satisfaction of the workers at the workplace that includes a lot of other things like wages freedom of association collective bargaining uh, social security all these basic rights must be ensured i know that these are responsibilities of the national governments to implement their own labor laws but in this global economy in the economy which is actually guided by the capitalists in a way which is which is basically fueled uh, these policies are fueled by the people who have a huge amount of money and who can go anywhere in the world to exploit the cheap labor they have the responsibility as well to ensure all basic rights of the workers so the best thing about accord was fixing at least for the safety of the workers fixing the responsibility on the uh, international brands and the companies who are getting their work done from uh, bangladesh or other countries uh, now in pakistan as well i i really appreciate you sharing that um cuz in my mind we should be so far from simply saying like you can go to work and you're not going to die or be terribly injured and um and one thing that's been my north star for all of my work in this space has been the concept of a living wage and i think you just you you really can't move forward in your life you can't take care of your family if you don't have a living wage and i see all of these other pieces as components of um of worker voice being at the table and thinking about safety and another another area that is really important to me that i know you've worked on as well is thinking about issues of gender and workplace harassment and workplace safety and the employment of women i have two young children myself and i know that many workers in bangladesh in pakistan in the united states um in the garment industry are mothers like me who have young children who are they they want jobs that are able, that enable them to care for their families where they're going to be treated well and treated with respect and where they're going to be able to care for their children and that those are those are major issues in this industry and if you are only thinking about building safety which is incredibly important um you're, you're there's there's issues of physical safety and emotional security and family well-being and i know that that's a passion that you share as well is caring for the women who work in this industry with this being an industry that the majority of the producers and the majority of the consumers are women um so would would love to just hear you speak to that 
for a minute too is where where things are on the ground and where things are with with your work and with conversations now around around living wage around worker voice and especially around the care and treatment of women yeah i think these are really important uh, things to to uh, consider when we work on the uh, labor rights i mean First of all, I mean, the most important thing is that workers should have a voice. So the actual situation on the ground regarding freedom of association and collective bargaining is that there are very few factories where there are independent unions and where the collective bargaining is happening. In whole South Asia, I would say. the, the Even um, the, the countries like Sri Lanka, where the situation was uh, a bit better as compared to Pakistan and Bangladesh, now the situation there is also deteriorating regarding the freedom of association and collective bargaining. So I think uh, uh, this is one of the most important uh, uh, basic rights which, uh, which uh, uh, should be ensured and the situation is worsening uh, regarding uh, uh, this basic right. Then um, a living wage is a concept which uh, still needs to be actually developed more in our region. Workers also do not have awareness on this concept of living wage. We have laws of minimum wage in our countries in South Asia, which is not enough. The demand for living wage should come from the workers and for raising this kind of demand, workers and need to get this freedom of organizing uh, and to get awareness uh, on these things. A general situation in our countries regarding freedom of association is also worsening, is also deteriorating. I think the labor rights can can also not be seen in isolation. It it needs, uh, uh, I mean, we, we, we have to look at what kind of regimes we have in our countries. But I do not hear uh, say that uh, the brands and international corporations do not have a responsibility. They are making trade deals. They are in conversation with the governments as well. They are uh, part of the policy makings uh, as well when it comes to the foreign investment. Uh, they are part and parcel of what is happening in our countries. So I think these uh, basic rights, uh, ensuring the implementation of the laws and the basic rights are also responsibility of uh, these big corporations. Uh, regarding the uh, women uh, workers, uh, um, the way the women workers are being exploited, in, especially in the government industry, you cannot really imagine. They, they are uh, like under uh, a triple burden in our societies. They have to, they have burden of their home, they have burden of being a woman, and then they have burden of earning the livelihood as well for their families. They are, uh, in most of the places, they are not paid equally for the same kind of work as the men are paid. Sexual harassment is uh, everywhere. And even though in some countries we have laws regarding the sexual harassment at workplace, but the problem is, like there are no implementation of other laws, this law is also ignored. So there are no sexual harassment committees. There are no workers' voices in those committees. Some, at some places, these committees only exist on papers. So women workers are facing a lot of uh, abuses, a lot of harassment, and then they are not also not paid equally. I mean, starting from their home, they face a lot of hurdles in our societies in whole South Asia. So I think the responsibility has to be taken regarding this. Uh, one more thing that I want to mention here is the health issue. It's not only 
the safety that is concerned, the health issue when a worker is working in the garment industry for like 15 or 20 years, that worker's lungs are suffered from different diseases. Uh, uh, they have uh, uh, eyesight problem. They have a bones problem. There are a lot of other issues regarding the health. And who is going to pay to them uh, to take care of their health in the age of retirement? There, when there is no pension schemes being implemented, when there is no social security for them in the old age, these workers are suffering a lot in their old age because of the diseases which they got from their work uh, in the in the garment industry. So this is also another very important issue which needs to be taken care of. Mm, absolutely. The UN even declared recently that a clean, safe environment is a human right. So. You bring up an excellent point about the health of workers needing to be addressed as well, especially in a factory and the surrounding communities, which are often subjected to vast amounts of pollution and toxic chemicals that lead to the compromised health conditions that you speak about. So as the accord expands into Pakistan, will some of these concerns be addressed? I know it's only been a few months now, but what is the current status of the expansion? Well, this is a, a, a good news. Pakistan, uh, it was announced in December and it has started as uh, with a pilot approach at the moment. It started from um, Karachi, which is the biggest industrial city of Pakistan. And then it will expand to Lahore and other industrial uh, cities as well. Uh, at the moment, the campaign is to like uh, get maximum brands to maximum number of brands to sign the Pakistan Accord. There are uh, a few things that I can mention here. There are some challenges as well. The challenge, biggest challenges is, uh, I mean, is of course from the industry. Uh, the problem with the industry is that um, they also do not have uh, one organization that represents the whole industry. There are few individual employers who are bigger than the industry, who have political connections, and then there are different associations uh, within the industry as well. And, and there are different views within the industry as well. But an important thing to mention here is that if the brands sign accord, if the brands agree, then these industrialists will have to agree because business is important for them. So our focus at the moment is on the brands to sign Pakistan Accord. We know that they will be able to make the industrialists here understand that for their business, this is important. Secondly, the government in Pakistan is also not very much favorable towards the kind of initiatives because the governments are always controlled by the industrialists in our region. Uh, they have more influence on the government policies as compared to the influence of progressive uh, politicians or trade union uh, influence is um, not uh, not happening in, in our countries. So, I mean, uh, so, so, so these are still some challenges, but uh, the good thing is that it's, uh, it's moving on. The brands, uh, although some of the major brands have still not signed the Pakistan Accord, 
but a few other brands have signed and the pilot inspections happened two months back and then now the work around the Pakistan Accord is underway. So hopefully with the influence of the brands, we will be able to see the Pakistan Accord expanding in other cities and with the involvement of the trade unions from Pakistan, I think that the Pakistan Accord will have a governance structure which will ensure that, that the workers' voices are there and that the majority of the factories producing for the brands uh, are secure uh, for workers. We have added a few other things in Pakistan Accord as compared to Bangladesh Accord, for example, boiler and chemical and also the supply chain is added in Pakistan Accords. That's fantastic that you're adding all those pieces. So it's uh, more uh, progressive as compared to Bangladesh uh, Accord. And at the same time, it's more challenging as well. But I hope that with the global campaign uh, targeting brands to sign Pakistan Accord, we will be able to achieve a lot of things under this. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot to be optimistic about. And I'm hopeful and looking forward to those improvements. So, college, you know, question for you is thinking about the audience of who's listening here. So it's people in the U.S., who are involved in the fashion industry and try to work towards sustainability in some way. So it could be brands, fabric creators, academics, scientists, um, just, just a range of different people who are listening in. What would you like to see Americans do to make things better? I think the most important thing is the connection between the workers. Most important thing is I mean, not, I mean, the workers from Pakistan, workers from South Asia need to connect to the consumers in U.S. The people in U.S. who are buying the, the garments, who are buying the textile uh, products, they need to know under what conditions the workers in our country are working. They need to be aware of that. So a lot of information is available, like, I mean, this is amazing that you're doing this uh, kind of work and people are listening to you. I mean, this needs to be um, to, to be done more. Uh, the uh, What I see uh, in the developed world and especially in the U.S., I think people are not aware that who is making this, this garment and uh, what wage that worker was paid and what was the what were the working conditions. So if this kind of information and awareness is there, then I think that can start the process of raising questions. And uh, solidarity comes from the information and education. So what we need is, uh, of course, solidarity. And um, the uh, I mean, it's not only the, the direct person-to-person -person solidarity. It has to be a systematic solidarity. It has to be a political solidarity. It has to be a solidarity where the policies of the U.S. government are favorable towards the workers in Pakistan. And sometimes the governments in Pakistan or in, in our country in South Asia, they also need to be engaged in a way that the uh, labor rights, which are globally recognized labor rights, the under the ILO conventions, the, the core conventions of ILO, Absolutely. I, I love that you raise ILO conventions. In fact, this is something that we as a world 
Yeah. And the greed is important. Yeah. So with these kind of, uh, I mean, the implementation in our countries is important um, uh, on the on the basic uh, rights and the and, and the core conventions of ILO. So I think it's political engagement, uh, which has input by the people of the United States, being aware of the situation of the workers in Pakistan. So so and then it's a uh, uh, brands. I mean, I mean, the as a consumer. You need to ask brands, is the garment that I am buying, is that a clean garment? Is that a garment where I can I can be satisfied by wearing this and buying this, that the workers who have made this were paid decent or living wage? Uh, uh, they, they were free to raise their voice. There was no discrimination among men and women making this garment. And they were working in a safe environment. And these are the questions that uh, people need to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Khalid, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your time and expertise with us and the Fashion Connections community. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, very, very, very important and I really enjoyed talking to you both. Thank you, Khalid. And thank you to our listeners as always for tuning in to another episode. We invite you to learn more about the Labor Education Foundation's mission, projects, and achievements. So please visit lef.org.pk.